0: Listen guys, I'm excited to be here, and uh, I'm really, really pumped about this message. So I pray that your hearts are ready for it, and that, you're, uh, that, that you're, you're, you're ready to grab hold of God's truth. The title of today's message is On the Road to Destiny. I want you to consider that with me for a second. On the Road to Destiny means you've gotta be traveling. You've got to be on your way somewhere. You've got to know that God has called you somewhere special. And I've already given it away. We're going to talk about David and how David was on the road to being king. He was on the road to being king, and he passed through a place called Ziklag. Now, you'll see how that all pay, uh, plays out, but but on that road to Ziklag, I mean, on that road to being king, he passes through Ziklag, and and there he experiences probably one of the hardest times of his life. It's where his enemy, his enemy exploited his weakness and exploited a very vulnerable time in his life, a very uh, uh, vulnerable tactical mistake, and, uh, and robbed from him. You know, there's all sorts of money that's spent in our, in our country, in our world today, for protection. There's protection uh, for our lives, there's protection for our possessions, there's protection for our finances, there's protection for our privacy, protection for our identity. And the enemy is, uh, there are people out there, thieves and, and robbers and those that would, uh, that would try to exploit uh, others that prey on, on people's vulnerability. Meaning if you leave an open door, they're gonna walk through it and they're gonna, they're gonna rob you blind. How many of you have ever experienced being stolen from, theft, or some kind of violation like that, some kind of breaking and entering, burglary, anything like that? Have you ever experienced that? Raise your hand. It feels lousy, doesn't it? It feels horrible. And and this is the thing. We spend so much money to protect ourselves. People put sophisticated alarm systems. They put a sophisticated encrypted code over their their, uh, their personal information and over their financial uh, transactions and whatnot. And yet, I, I want to share something with you. The ultimate thief is far more interested in ste- far more interested in stealing from you in the spiritual than he is in the physical because this is what Satan knows. He knows that, and, and, and he is a thief. The Bible says that he comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. And I need you to understand something that he's far more interested in stealing from you in the spiritual, why? Because whatever he can take in the spiritual will ultimately affect you in the physical. And before God blesses you, listen to me very closely here, before God blesses you in the physical, he's going to speak it in the spiritual. Before he blesses you financially, before he blesses your Home and with joy and peace and all of those things that, that, that are that are shown up in a very physical sense, how with comfort and and promotions and, and, a, and a nice home with uh, with all of the creature comforts that you might be uh, used to before he he establishes all of that he 's going to speak the blessing over you in in Helping you be a man of faith, helping you be a woman of character, helping you be the pride of person that that understands his joy and his peace and is able to relax in him and not be stressed all the time, not be worried all the time. And so, this is what I need you to understand. If he's going to steal from you, he knows he can get a lot further stealing from you in the spirit, because the spirit will have ramifications in the emotional and the physical. And that's the truth. And so. We need to be careful with this, and today we read about David experiencing an enemy that hits him while his back is turned, hits him while the chips are down, hits him in a very vulnerable state at a place called Ziklag, and so read with me. In the book of 1 Samuel chapter 30, you see David's conflict with the Amalekites. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south of Ziklag. Now, you have to understand something. He sa- it says that on the third day. But you need to understand something, that, that they didn't just show up to Ziklag. There, this isn't a brand new place for them. That means they've been in Ziklag. As a matter of fact, I want you to know they've been there for just under a year and a half. Some say a year and five months, a year and four months, a year and four months, a year and five months. They've been staying there. Now, what are they doing there? We'll get into that later. But where did they come back from? They came back from from fighting another enemy called the Philistines. And as they were fighting the Philistines for three days, they come back. Now, let me ask you this if you've been doing a, a bunch of warfare for three days, are you exhausted? More than likely you are, how many of you have ever had an opportunity to fight in a ring, an octagon, uh, wrestling, some kind of jiu-jitsu, uh, or maybe a good old-fashioned street fight, you know, when you were a kid, right? Not, not now, when you were a kid. Some of y'all raised your hand way too quick. Oh yeah, that was l- last night. Uh, no, listen, when If you've ever had to do that kind of of exercise, let's just call it that, you know that you get tired really quick, really quick. So if you're sitting there and you're fighting for three days against an enemy that wants to kill you, then when you come back home, what kind of condition are you in? See, I need you to understand something because even if you win, it costs you something. Come on, as a matter of fact, some of us have that idea that, you know what, I don't like to fight, but if I am, I'm going to make you sorry you fought me, even if you win. How many of you know the enemy's that kind of a foe? He's going to make you sorry that you ever engaged him. And so I can imagine David and his men coming back, even having won against the Philistines, but completely worn out. And this is what they encounter they encounter that the Amalekites, this is very, very important because the Amalekites are not just any foe. We know from from Bible history that the Amalekites are a treacherous guerrilla warfare uh, specialist. They prey on your most vulnerable times. They prey on your most vulnerable in the camp. When the children of Israel were were coming out uh, of Egypt, we know that the Amalekites pop-shotted them. They, they picked off the weak. They picked off those that were straggling. They picked off the lame. They picked off the, the hurting. And this angered God because this is the kind of people they were. And here you have David, when his back is turned and he's fighting another enemy, he gets hit from behind when no one is looking and no one is at the camp and he finds that they attacked Ziklag and they burned it with fire. They took captive all of the women, the small to the great, this is the children, the least to the oldest children. They didn't kill anyone, but they carried them and went their way. Now keep reading with me. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire. Their wives, their sons, their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power. Come on, have you ever prayed and cried in such a way that you have no more power, no more tears? You're just exhausted. I can remember crying to where I'm just like, oh, God, I got nothing left. This is utter despair what they're experiencing. Everything they hold dear has been ripped from them. Here, they were were experiencing and expecting triumph. Instead, they're met with tragedy. They were expecting to be met with comfort. Instead, they meet conflict. Have you ever been there in your life when when you think you've got things going, finally, in your way, in your direction, you finally are making some headway and taking some ground only to be cheap-shotted by the enemy? It can be absolutely demoralizing. Pastor, we were about to break through in our marriage, and then such and such took place. I was about to reach my children. We were about to turn the corner in my business. We were about to have that next step of faith, and then this took place, because the enemy doesn't fight fair. And we need to understand this. And so they've they've cried till there's no more cry in them. Verse 6 Now David was greatly distressed. Greatly distressed? How about greatly depressed? Oh wow, that's ugly writing. (laughs) How about greatly depressed? To put it in our modern day uh, vernacular or or terminology, we don't use the word distressed, but how about depressed? Depression is running amok. Because the enemy is stealing from us. And I want you to consider, what is he trying to steal from you? I tell you what he's trying to steal from you. He's trying to steal his desti- your destiny from you. Because the truth is, the Bible says that God created you in your mother's womb and while you were unformed, he saw you and he understood exactly what he had for you. As a matter of fact, he says all your plans, Everything pertaining to your life. I've already seen it. I've already written it down. I have something special for you. To the prophet Jeremiah, he said, I knew you before you knew yourself. Before anyone knew you, I knew you. I called you. And when I said live, you lived. And no disease could touch you. And no infirmity could harm you. And no situation could overcome you. And no circumstance was great enough to hold you. Because when I said live, and I put my word in your mouth, you were going to speak my oracles and you were going to reach my nation even if they didn't want to hear the message and even if they threw you in a pit your voice would echo and reverberate and would continue to go and no one no one no one can keep come on can keep my purpose from being accomplished in you except you except you Because the truth of the matter is, God has an amazing plan for your life. But this is the thing. God will show you a piece of your destiny, but then he has you walk it out, and on the road, the enemy tries to sabotage it. And it's interesting how, when he comes against you, he's trying to convince you that somehow, some way, you have forfeited the destiny. Now, for some of us, this will mean that we have to, in order to get to our destiny, deal with our history. What do I mean by that? Let me just put it very quickly because I don't have a lot of time to sit on that, on that one little topic there. If you're going to reach your destiny, you have to learn that your history is forgiven. First and foremost. Because one of the biggest ploys of the enemy is to use shame, to distract you, discourage you. And to steal hope from you. To steal hope from you through shame, regret. But, but let's, let's keep going here. So he was depressed for the people spoke of stoning him. I want you to think about this. What people? Can I tell you? His people. To be specific, 600 of his men. He had 600 men that had been proven loyal to him, that had gone and given up everything. But now, their most valuable possession has been taken from him, from them. And this is the thing. When it gets tough and the enemy comes against you, you have to be careful what you do. Because if you're, if you're like most people, you will be tempted to focus on someone else. Someone else that's human, someone else that's close to you, someone else that you used to rely on, someone else that you put your confidence in, someone else that you asked to lead you, someone else that you've been close to, someone else that you have grown accustomed to. But this is the thing. What if that someone else cannot help you? If that someone else cannot help you, then it will spark insecurity. Insecurity gives way to fear. Fear gets way to frustration, bitterness, anger, and even hatred. Why? Because there's no remedy, meaning I look at Melissa in my frustration and say, what are we going to do? And I want her to solve it, but when I see that she has no answers, when I see that she's limited, when I see that she's powerless, when I see that she's not able to accomplish what we desperately need done, then I begin to get frustrated. That frustration comes from fear and insecurity, and it just grows and grows and grows until we're tearing each other apart, and that's exactly what's happening here, because they keep looking at David, but can I tell you, David is powerless. Who do they need to look at? They need to look at God because God is limitless. God has all the answers. He has all the power. He has the ability. He has everything you need. And so you you, you don't need to get frustrated with each other because this is the thing. Sometimes we turn on each other when we need to be standing together and praying together to God. And so they begin to turn on him. Why? Why? because the souls of all the people were grieved every man for his sons and his daughters but David strengthened himself in the Lord so so before we go any further let me ask you a question who is stealing from you what have they stolen from you and and, and another question how do you get it back How do you get it back? You say, Pastor, they've stolen joy. They've stolen confidence in my marriage. They've stolen confidence in my spirit, confidence in my my future. They've they've stolen happiness and excitement to be in the home with my children during this valuable time, or I missed valuable time with my kids, and now I keep living in the history instead of pursuing my destiny. See, because this is the thing. If you keep looking back, you'll never be able to move forward. And so, so many people tell me, pastor, but I can't get over the years I've lost. And I said, if you don't get over them, you'll lose more. This is the thing. God can restore to you what the enemy has taken, but you've got to trust him for the future. You've got to trust him. So, who is stealing from you? And how can you get it back? So, before we get there, let me just talk briefly. How did David get here? He's in Ziklag. Pastor, you said he's been there for a year and a half. What is he doing there? How did he get there? I remember David slaying Goliath. Well, what you need to remember is this, is that God, before he was a man, called him a man after his own heart. In the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 13, verses 14, and then Acts, chapter 13, verse 22, Acts restates 1 Samuel. So this is a restatement here. This is the prophet, or the, uh, yeah, you can call him a prophet, prophet Luke, or the the gospel writer Luke is writing the book of Acts, and he hearkens back to 1 Samuel, and he says this. He says, I have found, oh, I'm on the wrong, I have found a son of Jesse, listen to this, a man after my own heart, but wait a minute. When God speaks this to Samuel, do you realize David is a child? See, he's saying, I see the destiny. Why? Because I don't live in space and time. I see the whole lifetime of a man. And this is what I see. I see a man who loves me with all his heart. And so this is the thing. If you want a great destiny that that God puts his hand on and blesses, you've got to have the heart to handle it. Because so many of us want what David had and David got, and we desire some of the things that we read in the Bible, but if you read the Bible, when God begins to move and to pour out his spirit, there has to be a heart in a woman that is big enough to receive it. There has to be a heart in a man that is big enough to receive it. You can't have a little heart and a little mindset and expect God to just blow it up. You've got to be ready to receive all that God has for you. You say, well, what, 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 what do you mean? Then let's just start analyzing what David went through. So, David is out in the field when the prophet Samuel comes to his house. He calls up Jesse. Jesse is the father. He says, I'm going to go anoint a son in your home. He has all his sons lined up for him, right? Except one. When you read the Hebrew text and Samuel says, The Lord doesn't make mistakes. This cannot be all your sons. And he says, we have one more, a worthless one, the Hebrew word means, a worthless one out in the field. Now, can you imagine being called worthless by your father? Isn't this beautiful? God tends to use the the people the world would never suspect. So if you're here today and you're thinking to yourself, but I'm so ordinary, I've never been important, no one's ever thought anything of me, I've just been totally ordinary and regular and actually below regular, below ordinary, then you're in luck because that's exactly where God looks. That's exactly who God likes to use. And so I love the story because the Bible says, and and I could go into the history of why the Hebrew people think that, that Jesse would call his son... Oh, worthless, but, but we don't have time for all of that. Okay, I, I gotta keep going. So, so this is what he says: go get him, and not a, one of you sit down. And we're gonna wait till he gets here. Now I need you to understand this. He wasn't like out in the backyard. He was out in the field. He could have been a day's ride, it could have been two days. Ride. I don't know how long it was, but he was a long way off. So he'd come. they're waiting there for him, and they're showing him honor and respect because when he walks in, we're not going to be lounging around like just kind of chilling out, having a good time. No, you're waiting because the future king of Israel is about to walk in, and David goes, up, what's up, dudes? <laughs> Can you imagine? What does a teenager look like when he's the youngest one? He's like, hey, bros, what are y'all doing? Waiting for you. And Samuel anoints him king of Israel. It's at that point that his father still keeps treating him the same way. He was a step and fetch kid. Step and fetch means come step here, go do this, go do that, go do. And and he, he calls him to step and fetch some food for his brothers. You know what I love about David's heart? Remember, I told you you have to have a big heart if you want a big destiny? He had a huge heart. He said, God, I don't mind serving my brothers. They're older than me. I just want to be around the action. You want me to go give them food? Yeah, man, they're at the battlefield. I just want to be around the action. Come on, how many of us just need to get around the action before we can expect something from the Lord? But instead, we come with all of these prerequisites. Well, Lord, I won't serve you until you give me a certain position. Or I would, but I've already earned a certain title. Or I would, but but you know what? I've been accustomed to a certain level of professionalism, and I don't do those things anymore i can't wipe toilets i won't sweep the floors i won't i've got to have some and god's going you got to do what you're lucky you're lucky i let you in the door come on can i can i get someone that's just humble enough to say god as long as i'm in the door i'll sweep i'll mop i'll clean toilets i'll do whatever it takes god to to just just experience your presence That was David's attitude. You want me to take pizza? I'll be a pizza deliverer. Bread and cheese is what he was asked to take. So he shows up and he sees this this evil Philistine, a giant, who from youth has been killing men, intimidating the armies of the Lord, and he's defying God and he is just berating and belittling the entire, entire army of God. David is spilled With indignation and anger, I can see him jump off his pony or his mule, whatever he's riding. He says, if none of you will fight him, I'll fight him. Today, you're going to see that we serve a living God. Why? Because he's already been anointed. By this time, the prophet has already anointed him with oil. And, And listen, you'll read it a little bit later. The Bible says that the spirit of the living God, the spirit of God falls upon him. And the spirit begins to move because of this heart of his. I'm gonna, I'm gonna honor God first and foremost. I don't care what it takes. And so he steps out there in that field, and with a with a slingshot, he. Knocks the giant unconscious and before the uh, the giant could come to David goes over there. I can see him now. I mean, I, I wish I could do it. I'm not young enough to do it the way I see it in my mind. I could see him running and just like doing a dive roll, grabbing the the the, the, the big sword and just like with one. Ah. Can you see it? Come on, guys. I mean, this he's like a little. Fifteen-year-old, and you're like, "What it just happened?" And then all the men of Israel go, "Yeah!" And David's like, "Yeah!" Oh my! Oh, somebody needs to do this movie already. It's just awesome. So who's been stealing from? Me? Oh, wait, we haven't figured out how he got to Ziklag yet. So then Saul invites him into his home. You ever been invited into your home? Someone shows you love only to turn and hate you? You ever been betrayed by those who said, I'll care for you and I'll love you and I'll take care of you and I'll treat you like my own family only to be betrayed later? And, and Saul betrayed him and broke his heart and through a javelin to kill him and and yet even when Saul was trying to kill him you want to know the vastness and the beauty of David's heart he would not speak ill of his of his king He would not turn against him. He would not raise a hand towards him. He would not do anything but love him. How many of you have ever had a boss that called you in, treated you right, only to turn around and then try to assassinate your career, try to do you wrong, try to take from you, try to... But yet, how did you respond? Because if you want to experience destiny, you need to understand David's heart. He said, Lord... This is where you have me. I will honor this man. And so David runs for his life. And some scholars say he ran close to 20 years out in the desert, sleeping like a dog with no place to call his home. How many of you would have grown grown weary? But David's heart was like, God, I don't care about the position. I care about the person. And you are the person I care about. See, that was the difference between Saul and David. Saul wanted the position. Saul wanted the position. When Samuel came to him, listen to me, two prophets come and correct both of them. David wasn't perfect. Saul wasn't perfect. But when Saul was corrected, he said, I still want the position. Don't take it from me. When Nathan, the prophet, came and corrected David, you know what David said? Forget the position. Take it. I was nothing before God gave it to me. Just don't take your spirit from me, God. You're the one I want, God. As long as I can still have a relationship with you, I don't have to be king. I have to be with you. Amen? Do you see the difference? It's the heart. And so now, we find out why he's a Ziklag. He's estranged from his king. And he's there in his... Men are trying to kill him, and the Bible says that he turns to God. Number one, David sought after the Lord. See, the truth is, who you turn to will determine how you react. I've already told you, if you return to God, it will bring out the best in you. If you turn to others, it will bring out the worst. It has nowhere else to go. When you turn to others, they will disappoint you. You will see their limitations. It will create fear and insecurity and bring out frustration, anger, bitterness, and and the like. Some of you couples right now are shaking your heads going, ooh, now I know why we're turning on each other instead of turning toward each other and being unified in our seeking after God. Number Number two, David strengthened himself in the Lord. So he turns to God and he begins to strengthen himself in the Lord. What I find really interesting, because he is at his lowest point, he is exhausted from fighting the Philistines, he comes in and he's heartbroken, and right there in his heartbreak, his men turn on him, and now he is found alone. Have you ever found yourself completely deserted and alone, and completely desperate to the point that you wish someone could help you, but you have to learn in this moment, listen to me, to strengthen yourself. No, 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 you didn't get it. Have you ever been at your lowest point where everyone seems to have walked away from you, where you can't find a shoulder to cry on or a friend to be there to listen and you have to find what it is to strengthen yourself? See, because most people were like, well, pastor, I called you, but you weren't there for me, and so-and-so didn't pat me on the back, and so-and-so didn't understand, and it's my wife's fault, it's my husband's fault, it's my mama's fault, it's my daddy's fault, it's my brother and my children, and nobody was there for me. Listen, at the end of the day, Christianity, at the end of the day, yes, you can walk with others, but there comes a point where it has to be between you and God. You and God. You can't write daddy's faith. You can't write mama's faith. you got to have your own faith, and you got to learn what it is to strengthen yourself in the Lord. (laughs) Strengthen yourself. Come on now. I'm trying to help you if you let me. Because that's still, uh, if you don't know what it's like to strengthen yourself, you're still going to be looking for others. And David knew what it was like to strengthen himself. Now notice what he didn't do. He didn't turn to Jim Bean for strength. (laughs) He didn't turn to Corona or Bud Light for strength. He didn't turn to cocaine or marijuana or anything else they're calling it these days. He's turned to the Lord. He didn't go and find himself a high dollar psychologist. He didn't go and look to see what Google would do. What would you do in this situation, Google? (laughs) He strengthened himself in the Lord. Can I tell you, this is old school. This is old school. The new generation doesn't know what it's like to get on your knees, pray till you, don't, you, you have no more tears, and then find strength in God for your marriage, for your children, for your future, for your home, for your promotion, for whatever it is that you're struggling with, for your health. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. I can tell you that David shows us this time and time again. He shows us the, the roadmap on how to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. Just to name a few, in Psalms 42, he says, When you're depressed, strengthen yourself in the Lord. In Psalms 34, he says, When you're filled with fear, strengthen yourself in the Lord and know that it's Him that will get you through. If you've got fear, depression, lostness, anxiety, and, 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 and your hope is gone, then read Psalms 23. Psalms 23, one of the best psalms that's ever been written. Come on, can anyone quote it to me? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. What does that mean? He's not going to leave me sitting there completely without anything. He will be there. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He what? He makes me to lie down in green pasture. He leads me beside still waters. He, his staff, his rod and his staff, they comfort me. He, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. For thou art with me, Lord. You prepare for me. Come on, a table in the presence of my enemies. Even when the enemy is closing in on both sides and he's trying to steal everything, I know that I know that I know that we can sit down. In a place of peace. I want you to get this picture. Get this picture deep inside. These aren't just empty songs. This is a man. He goes, I know what it's like to be at my wits and and, and to sit down at a table with my king and to say, Lord, I have a request for you, Father. Will you help me get my family back? Stay with me on this. Number three, David made supplication to the Lord. That request we just talked about, he made it to God. Then David said, Tabiathar, the priest, bring, please bring the ephod here to me. What's the ephod? The ephod was a linen spiritual garment that symbolized humility, and being covered by, by future tense, being covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. David was saying, Lord, I need you not to see my sin. If you see my sin, I have no reason to ask anything of you But in your mercy and your grace, and what's mercy? Stay with me on this. Mercy is God not giving you what you deserve. Grace is giving you what you don't deserve. In other words, okay, I'm not going to send you to hell because you deserve that. That's mercy. I'm going to give you heaven even though you don't deserve it. That's grace. So God, as I put this robe on, give me mercy and grace and give me my children back. Give me my wives back. Give all of us our possessions back We're in desperate need of you, Lord. And as he puts on the linen ephod, he's symbolizing to us how we have the same authority to go before God. Notice what he didn't do. He didn't ask somebody else to pray. He didn't let somebody else handle his problem. He and God got together on their own. Can I tell you that that, that I want to highlight for you something I've already said. In, Ma- in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13, the Bible says, then Samuel, this is going back to that house where all his brothers are lined up and he's come in from the field and he's about to be anointed king of Israel. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of all his brothers. And watch this. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Can you see when he messed up, he said, don't take your spirit from me, God. I, I, I want you, Lord. I've learned what it is to walk with you and to have you with me, and I'd rather have you with me. Now, now watch this. The spirit of the Lord came upon him. Go to the book of Acts. Listen to what the Bible says in the book of Acts. But you will receive power after that The Holy Spirit comes upon you. Can I read you from the book of 1 John, also in the New Testament? But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. Just like David had been anointed but not quite yet appointed, You have been anointed even though you haven't been quite yet appointed. And the enemy is going to try to do anything he can to keep you from believing your anointing and to keep you from ever receiving your appointing. What's your appointing? What's your appointment? I don't know. What is God promising you? What has God promised you? Well, let me just start off with some simple ones that you can have a nice, beautiful, fulfilled marriage that honors him, that you can have children that love him with all of their heart and bring you no sorrow and grief. Instead, rise up and call you blessed. That's what you can have. You know what else you can have? You can have faith to conquer anything the enemy throws at you. You can be rest assured that he'll never leave you or forsake you. You can rest assured that the plans he has for you are what? Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future because God is for you and not against you. And if God be for you, who can be against you? What God has blessed, no man can curse. When God is for you, who can be against you? What God has blessed, no man can curse. I'm gonna say it over and over because you gotta get that deep in your heart. What we're talking about here is David putting on the anointing of God and saying, God, you have given me righteousness to be able to go before you and to ask of you to ask of you what I need and then God said go go so number four David obeyed he obeyed now come on let me read to you this is God's words pursue you will surely overtake them and without fail recover all Come on, how many of you would get so excited if God spoke to you, you would jump up and take off? You can tell your type A's. I'm a type A, I'd go. But I'd get halfway down the road and go, I didn't ask him which way. Anyone, pack? I mean, jump out of the plane and then pack the chute? You know, that, that's me. i jump out of the plane and go like, did you pack the chute? Oh, no. So I'd, I'd take off running, go, where? Who am I chasing again? How am I going to do this? Where are they at? What's going to happen? Come on, how many of you would never get up the table because you're more, more uh, uh, detail-oriented? You're like, no, Lord, you're going to have to tell me a whole lot more than just go. <laughs> Can I tell you, sometimes God wants to know you have the faith to get up and go. See, if you're praying for a job, some, at some point you're going to have to get up and actually go look for one. If you're looking to get out of debt, at some point you're going to have to get up, go work hard, make a snowball uh, chart, and begin to pay off your debt. If you're going to try to do better in your finances, then you've got to make a commitment to give your tithe and to put God first. Then you've got to start to do the things you already know. Like he said, pursue, go, I'm, I'm with you. You've got to obey him, number five, because ultimately God wants you to experience his Generosity his generosity. See, look, in the New Testament, all throughout the New Testament, the Bible talks about where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom. Freedom is generous, isn't it? Jesus gives parables like this. There was a man who was owed so much money, this person was enslaved to him. But that man was generous and forgave him. The Bible says Jesus came to seek and to save those that are lost, those that are captive, those that are enslaved, those that do not understand generosity. He came to give them generously what they could never obtain on their own. And so before God can give you generosity, this is number five as a trick to it. You have to to be generous. We've been talking about David's heart. See, God's saying... You want me to pour back everything that the enemy has stolen from you. I want to know he hasn't changed your heart. Stay with me on this. Worship team, come up. Watch this. I want to know that in your fear and in this fear attack that the enemy has gone after you with, that you haven't gotten hard-hearted and now say, No, I, I can't, I can't give anymore. I gotta keep. I gotta be fearful. Because in your fear, listen to me, you're going to try to keep what I give you back. I want to know you're still an open vessel, an open conduit, an open stream that can flow to other people. Because my blessing is not meant to be held and grudged and and, and, and be held stagnant. I want a living fountain flowing through you. See, if the enemy changed you because now you're so fearful, the minute I give it back to you, you're going to hold on to it. That's not good, son. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to send you out on the way, and you're going to encounter a man from from Egypt. Now, what does a man from Egypt have to do with the Amalekites? Watch with me. He's going to be dying and in need of your generosity. Come on, how many of you know what God is up to now? Are you going to be so into yourself that you won't stop and help somebody because all you can think of is my stuff, my family, my... Because if you have, then the enemy has changed your heart through his fear tactic. But David says, no, 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 you need help. And he begins to minister to him. As he's ministering to this man who has not eaten and drank, and he's and he's in bad shape, the man starts telling him how he got in bad shape. Do you want to know how he got in bad shape? His masters, he was a slave, are the Amalekites. Oh, this is who David's seeking. And he says, I was just raiding with them. We took everything from Ziklag. And they're headed that way. David goes, do you mind coming with me? He says, I don't mind as long as you show me kindness and mercy. David says, I'm already doing that. Can you hear what I'm telling you? Now, now when David catches up to them, they're drinking and partying, having a good time. He overtakes them annihilates them, and recovers everything. Watch this. This is biblical here. When when you catch a thief, he has to make restitution. And the Bible says that he will give back to you what the locusts have eaten, what the enemy has stolen, and you will get it back seven times. So this is... This is what David experiences. He not only gets back what they stole from him, but what they had been stealing for years. He was able to plunder everything back. You want to know how big his heart is? I'll give you one more thing. Some of the men, when they were on their way to recapture the stuff, were too exhausted. 200 of them had to stay behind. They were just too exhausted. They'd been fighting for three days. The rest of them went back and got it all. David said, we're going to share with everyone. Some of the evil men of the 400 that continued on said, we will not share. They weren't man enough to be here. They don't get any. And David said, no, that's not how brothers treat each other. Can I tell you, you want a God-given destiny, prepare your heart. Say, oh, pastor, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm I'm sick of the enemy stealing from me. I'm ready. Man, pray over me. Strengthen yourself.